0: All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. You're going to need them this morning. Romans chapter one. By the grace of God, we will finish chapter one, and it'll only take us one month. So, uh, Romans chapter one. Let me go ahead and make you aware that this morning's sermon is difficult. It is a section of verses that you might have looked ahead and saw coming down the down the pipeline, and you were like, "Oh, it's coming." And it's here, so uh, it's here. So uh, let me make you aware of that, and let me give parents a heads up that there are some terms and some topics that are coming up in today's sermon, that if you have uh, little ones in here with perceptive ears, and uh, you want them to uh, be taken care of in childcare today, we do love family-style worship here. Like, we believe that kids are not to be just shoved off in some entertainment area of the church, but they should see that, church is multi-generational. It is a body of believers. It is a family. And one of the ways they see that is watching the older saints worship. However, we're going to talk about some things today that you might want to utilize in the uh, child care area. And so if that's you, I will have a lengthy intro as usual, and that'll give you enough time to get back there and and come back here. And so uh, the child care is there waiting for you you if you need that. So last week we began this section of Scripture in Romans chapter 1 where Paul is beginning to plead his case he's beginning to make his case and as we see in Romans 1 it is the heathen and Romans 2 it is going to be the Jew and the religious person and and in 3 we're all going to get lumped into one for all have fallen short of the glory of God so he is still in the middle of pleading his case here and so the, the case is you need Jesus you you absolutely need Jesus so last week I began with why do you need Jesus because the wrath of God is revealed The wrath of God is being revealed, God's wrath is revealed because he hates sin. He can't stand sin, he's a holy and righteous God and we have rebelled against him and therefore he has revealed his wrath on humanity, on earth as you see uh, natural disasters and those things but most importantly we've seen that the wrath of God has been poured out on his son Jesus Christ. That he would pour out his wrath upon his son, the divine one himself taking on the full brunt of God's wrath against sin so that he would bear it in our place so that we could have his righteousness and life everlasting. So why do we need Jesus? Because the wrath of God is revealed against sin, against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Why do we need Jesus? Because we suppress the truth. As I said last week, we Take that beach ball and we try to hold it underwater. We take the truth of God and we decide, you know what? I think I know better. I think I want to suppress this truth and I want to pursue things in my own way. And so I'm going to diligently hold down the truth. I'm going to choke it out and I'm going to try to kill the guilt that I have of this insatiable desire that I should be serving God, which is how we were created. We were created to honor and glorify God. So when we don't want to do that, I'm going to have to hold down the truth that is leading me in that direction. So we do all kinds of things to suppress the truth. We go so far as to even deny the existence of God. Many have gone so far to deny the gender that they were given at birth. Many are taking all the necessary steps they can take to suppress the truth and to eliminate God from their minds. And it leads to misery. Why do we need Jesus? Because we do not honor God as God. When it comes down to the final point here is that we lack better judgment. We begin to think that I can call the shots for my life. I think I know what's best based on my emotions, based on my culture, based on my experience. And so I'm gonna make this decision and when we begin to make the decisions for ourselves, we take the word of God and we put it aside and we take our emotions and our decisions and we say, you know what, this is right for me. And when we decide what is right, when we take the seat of honor and remove God from that seat, we then begin to have a moral target that is always moving based on how I feel. And our culture has done this. They have suppressed the truth, and now there is a moral target that is moving. And it's always moving based on, well, I think this is right. Well, I think this this feels good. I think this is what I want to do, and you can't tell me I'm wrong because this is how I feel. And this is the kind of arguments that we've kind of gotten to and so when morality becomes a moving target, it's meaningless because there's no stop to it. And so we are seeing that there is a punishment that is due for this. And as we get into this next section of verses, you'll see that this wrath of God that's revealed is basically God saying, okay then, if you think you know better, you just go right for it. See, see how miserable you can become because you have pushed me out of your life. Tony Morita says this, God hands people over to their sin and its consequences. This judgment is a foretaste of ultimate judgment to come. In other words, sin leads to misery, not fulfillment, and is a foretaste of eternal misery. Oh, how many times we think that sin will lead to fulfillment. Oh, this will make me feel this way. Oh, if I can if I'll do this it will it will please me on the inside. And it has led to misery every single time. In the Romans commentary by RC Sproul, many times, if not most times, the sin we commit is a punishment for sin. When we sin, we are actually working out God's punishment for our sin. We are not committing a new transgression every time we sin. Rather, the sinful impulses that we harbor, embrace, and experience in our actual transgressions are already the result of God's judgment for our sins. That's a really deep quote, so let me just explain it to you this way. There are times where we get sucked into a pattern of sinning that is God's wrath, okay? Okay? If that's what you want, then you're going to find yourself in this misery, in this mud pit of misery, continuing in the things that you're continuing in, all because you have rejected God as God. And you have suppressed the truth. And you found yourself with all kinds of problems. I'm going to give you two problems today and one solution. And hopefully I can do it in a timely manner. So... If you have your bibles i hope you do i hope you grabbed one near you you're going to need it today romans chapter one reading from the esv i'm going to pick up in verse 22 and go all the way to 2 1 claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things therefore god gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity "...insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges." For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, your word is righteous. Your word is true. Your word is life-giving. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Your word cuts down deep between soul and marrow to convict us of sin and to lead us in paths of righteousness. God, we love your word we're so grateful that you've given it to us that you speak to us that you've allowed us who have come to you in faith and repentance to have your spirit to open our understanding to your word today god we would ask that as we tackle some difficult issues that you would give us grace and mercy that you would lead us into a way of understanding that you would lead us into a way of repentance god you would lead us in a way of obedience we love you and your steadfast love endures forever you're faithful and true you're a covenant-keeping God who will throw our sins into the depths of the sea and remember them no more because of your son Jesus Christ you're good and you're loving and you're kind and you're merciful you are long-suffering so God lead us in your truth and change us from the inside out. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see, two problems. The first one is, let's just continue with the theme, why do you need Jesus? Because we are all infatuated with idolatry. As we get into this point, he begins to say, well, the wrath of God is revealed in the fact that you are infatuated with idolatry. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. You're going to see this phrase three times in these verses. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped, there's the idolatry, and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever, amen? All of our sin problems are worship problems. All of our sin problems are worship problems. At some point, we've become so infatuated with things that are created that we have shifted our focus off of the one who is to be blessed forever, amen, and we have placed them on created things, which is against the natural order of how we were created. We were created to glorify God, for our, our gaze to be fixed upon God, and yet we have turned in on ourselves. We've begun to worship other things. All of our sin problems are worship problems. So there's three misguided steps that lead to this misery of idolatry. The first one is, as we've mentioned already, it's the failure to honor God as God, verse 21. I gotta back up so you can see how we've got to this point. If you fail to honor God as God, you've already taken the first step in the direction of idolatry. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. As I mentioned last week, this was the difference between a head knowledge of God and a heart appreciation for God that there's a point where I know God, but yet my heart is no longer drawn towards God, it's drawn towards other things, so I don't honor God as God, I sit in the seat of authority of my life and I make the choices and if that's the first step, then you've already taken a step towards misguided misery and idolatry. Although they're intellectual in their understanding of who God is, they might have even heard who Jesus Christ is, they have decided not to give him the seat of authority or to thank him for the blessings that they have received. So they become vain or idolatrous as the word, therefore futile in their thinking. So not honoring God as God is idolatrous in thinking. Idolatry then has a third step, a second step in the three misguided steps. It is the refusal to thank God or find contentment in God. So no longer do I honor God as God, but now I'm just not content. I'm, I'm beginning to feel the misery of what I've already decided. I've already began to, to long for something, to feel a satisfying desire within me, and so I am not thankful for God. I'm not content. So although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, verse 21. So vain thinking leads to unthankful living. Vain thinking, this self-love, this self-absorption, this mindset where everything's about me, what I can get, what I need, leads to you being ungrateful and unthankful for the things that God has given you. This is exactly what happened in Genesis, am I right? Genesis chapter three, they're placed in the most perfect place possible. They're not thanking God for all the perfect places that they're in with all the things that have been given to them. No, I'm not content there's still one thing that I want. And so I'm gonna pursue this thing until I find misery in it. So vain thinking, the self-love, self-absorption leads to ungrateful, unthankful living. Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we are, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It is through this discontentment, this second step towards idolatry that many have begun to wander away from the faith. It seems so subtle But it's so true that when we are not content with God and what he's given us, we begin to walk away from the faith. William Barclay, when talking about contentment, he says, they they meant a frame of mind which was completely independent of all outward things and which carried the secret of happiness within itself. Contentment never comes from the possession of external things. Oh, we're not content, but yet we think that external thing will bring us contentment. When, when, when's the last time you went to the store and you bought something and like you brought it home and then you're like, oh, it's not as cool as I thought it was going to be. Don't you hate that? Especially when it's like a brand new TV and like as soon as you buy that TV and you hang it on the wall, the new version comes out and you're like, oh, if I just had that version of TV, I would be more content than I have now with this TV that I just bought. Or cars. Don't let me get started on cars, right? You're already gonna spend that much money and you immediately have this, I'm happy, but I also have regret as you drive off the parking lot with it. You know, you're like, ha ha ha, I have to pay for this. (laughs) David Guzik, I think I've shared this one with you before. We can only find contentment when our hearts are rooted in eternal things. And contentment is essential because it shows we are living with an eternal perspective, not only trying to feather our earthly nest. Oh, that our minds would be so content in Christ. As Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I shared this back at Christmas, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment is learned, and it is a hard lesson to learn. Often we learn it through failure. Contentment is learned by walking, though, with Christ and living for Christ, not by living for oneself and one's comfort. It is learned. So you've taken the first step of failure to honor God as God. The second step is the refusal to thank God and find contentment in Him. So what's the third step? Well, I'm gonna fixate on something and I'm going to exchange God for an object that I think will satisfy. It is the exchange of God for an object of satisfaction that will never satisfy. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is depravity, that we would exchange the creator for something created, that we would believe that something or someone can satisfy us more than the one who is all satisfying. What a depraved, vain mindset that is. That we would think, oh, I'm self-absorbed. I, I need this. This is what I want. I'm not content, so I'm going to fixate on this thing that was created, thinking that it can serve as my functional Savior, and that's a depraved mind. So he goes on, verse 24, therefore God gave them up. So here we go. Okay, if that's what you want to do, if those are the steps you want to take, have at it. He gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and serve the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever, amen? The word lust is an odd word there. It's the word over-desire. He gives us up to an over-desire of good things. Idolatry, for the most part, is not worshiping bad things. It's worshiping good things and making them God things. It's an over-desire that, man, this person or this thing is gonna be all satisfying to me. Let me tell you, people make the worst personal saviors. Kids make the worst personal saviors. Because what happens is is you elevate this kid to where they think they're God and then one day they're gonna realize they're not God and you've done that to them because they've served you. It's self-absorption. So you've turned in on yourself and you've taken your focus off of God and you've put it on people that you love and care for, good, created things, gifts from God, and he says, oh, you want to overindulge in that? You wanna overdesire in that? You'll be miserable. Misery, again, R.C. Sproul, the worst thing that can happen to sinners is to be allowed to go on sinning without any divine restraints. God gives people over to what they want. He abandons them to their sinful impulses and removes his restraints, saying, in essence, if you want to sin, go ahead and sin. It would be like as a parent, looking at your child and going, oh, you want a gallon of ice cream for dinner before you go to bed? have at it have at it and then when you're sitting there in misery because your stomach hurts now you're going to be lactose intolerant for the rest of your life like you go ahead right you're in misery I've taken off my parental restraints and if you think this is what you want you're going to realize real quick it's not and at some point God says you know what if you think that's what you want I'm going to show you how much you need me I'm going to let you get into a point of misery where you hit rock bottom and the only place you can look is up And it is is actually grace. That is actually the grace of God. That he would say, okay, I'm going to prove it to you. You need me. Your sin problem is a worship problem. Your misguided worship always leads to a misguided life of misery. Philip Holmes in an article on Desiring Desiring God said, the problem is our hearts are black holes of discontentment devouring relationships and possessions, all while screaming, I need more. We're always eating, but famished, always drinking, but never satisfied. Dissatisfaction in life is near the root of all kinds of sin. Why do people cheat on their spouse, abuse drugs and alcohol, mindlessly binge watch ridiculous amounts of television, scroll endlessly on Facebook and Twitter still, or commit suicide? All of these things and more happen because people have, haven't found happiness. At the root of our dissatisfaction is a never-ending thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. We've been duped into thinking that a better job, more money, cooler friends, another spouse, or a new life is really what we need. And if we can't obtain any of these things or when we, they leave us dissatisfied, we resort to drug abuse, sexual immorality, and senseless entertainment. As Paul is Making his case here, he's showing us that we are infatuated with idolatry. We're always looking for something to satisfy us. Flip over with me to Isaiah 55. I cheated, I already had it marked in my Bible, so I was faster than you. Isaiah 55, 1 through 7. that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while, you may be, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Why do we seek after things to satisfy us when he is the only one who satisfies as Jesus said in John 6:35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Problem number one, we're infatuated with idolatry. Number two, we need Jesus because we were infected with immorality. Not only are we infatuated, now we're infected by it. For this reason, God gave them up, there's that phrase again, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. A discontentment with God leads to depraved sexual immorality. Idolatry actually discloses itself in immorality. It shows up in the relationships that we have with others that are not God-given. Sexual morality, and we say it this way, is a physical evidence of an idolatrous mind and heart. So we can see the physical played out in what is actually happening mentally in the mind. Now, let me be aware, make you aware of this. This is probably the longest and clearest passage in the Bible against homosexuality. And it is a touchy, hurtful, and awkward topic that many try to tiptoe around, try to avoid and try, or, or try to condone for fear of hurting people's feelings. But as you walk through scripture, and you go verse by verse, and you choose a book of the Bible, you cannot tiptoe around and you cannot dodge it and you cannot escape it. Sexual immorality sexual morality is an abomination. Augustine would say this way, my soul that turns away from you therefore lapses into sexual immorality. Dennis Hollinger says this, the link between idolatry and sexual morality is established by the frequent use of prostituting themselves or adultery to describe Hebrew idolatry in the Old Testament. Israel's unfaithfulness to God was not only a form of spiritual prostitution or adultery, but it also led to the physical acts themselves. Idolatry plays itself out in people's lives with immorality. The Bible clearly says that homosexuality and other sexual sins outside of the marriage of one man and one woman are a sin. It's clear. This is God's inspired word. This is this means that the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul, is telling us that these are sins. So here, Paul is telling his readers that the revealed wrath of God is what we can see today in the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of people who participate in such things. Now, in recent years, there has been a push to try to convince some that this passage that we're going through refers to uh, only certain kinds of permissuous homosexual acts like prostitution, one-night stands, or masters forcing their slaves to do things, and that Paul was unaware of what it looks like to have a committed loving relationship well let me tell you that rome was familiar with committed homosexual relationships so this is not true this is just telling us that this goes against the nature of god that idolatry will then turn into immorality and this is a clear picture of it he's up front with his roman audience that an active homosexual lifestyle of any kind is a settled unrepentant pattern, of behavior that is indicative of an attitude that has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord. And so those who claim that they can do both and have both are not correct according to Scripture. Why, Tom Schreiner says, why does Paul focus on same-sex relations, especially since he receives, has received such little attention elsewhere in his writings? Probably because it functions as a fitting illustration of what of that which is unnatural in the sexual sphere. Idolatry is unnatural in the sense that it is contrary to God's intention for human beings. Just as idolatry is a violation and perversion of what God intended, so too same-sex relations are contrary to what God planned when he created man and woman. What he's saying here is this is a clear indication of going against nature. It's unnatural relations is literally against nature. So immorality, homosexuality as a case in point then, is the unnatural distortion of misaligned worship just as idolatry is the unnatural distortion of misaligned worship. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That it is playing itself out in immorality. He's not picking on it because he's about to give you a whole list of other things. A whole list of other things. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, here it is third time God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice, that's key, such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Humanity is infected with immorality. And it comes out in all forms of symptoms. Humanity is totally depraved. This means that while not everything we do is always completely sinful, nothing we do is completely untouched by sin everything we do has been tainted and touched by sin, even relationships. And so these are symptoms of an infection. Now, I I don't know how many of you got COVID. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because HIPAA laws, I guess, I don't know. So um, I don't know how many of you got COVID over the last two years and I don't know what symptoms you had, but I would venture to say that there was a wide array of different symptoms. I would say some of you couldn't smell, some of you couldn't taste, Some of you ran a fever. Some of you couldn't breathe. Some of you were just tired. Some of you didn't even know what was going on, right? You were just totally clueless. I feel fine. I don't know why everybody around me is getting sick. You know, but we all had different symptoms or it all played itself out in different ways. And so as we go through this list, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to identify the symptoms in which you feel when idolatry and immorality begin begin to play out in your life. Because if you do take these steps of not honoring God, you know, if you take the step of being discontent with what you have, and then you take the next step of focusing in on a person or a thing or an idea as that's gonna satisfy me, what does that look like in your life? This is gonna be the symptom that comes out of it. So they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, all manners of unrighteousness, evil. The Greek word here is porneia, which is a lust, a fornication, the word where we get pornography from. Can I just tell you that we live in an evil world And the evil is becoming more accessible by the moment to all age groups. It's evil. And yet many are practicing it and accepting it. Am I right? Why? Because at some point, I decided not to honor God as God. And then I became discontent in the situation that I'm in. And now I fixated myself on something or someone and that that thing, That person, that's where I find satisfaction. And really you don't, you find misery and you find yourself in a repeated pattern of God's wrath where he is being revealed to you that you're stuck in the mud pit. Covetedness, greed. Not only do you want what someone else has, you believe you deserve it. Malice, it's naughty and wicked thinking. Where does your mind race? Envy, that's jealousy for what other people have. Murder, hateful attitudes, hateful anger, even taking someone's life maliciously. Strife, being contentious and quarrelsome. Are you someone who gets in arguments a lot because you, you need to prove that you're right? Deceit, you fool others with falsehood and trickery. Maliciousness, you hold grudges and ill will towards people. Gossips, you're a, you're a whisperer. You go around talking about other people in private. slanderers. you're backbiting and you destroy people's reputations with your words. You want to tear them down in other people's minds. Haters of God, you you would rather be self-controlled rather than submit to God. Insolent, lacking respect for God. Haughty, is proud and boastful about it. Inventors of evil, you're contriving. Disobedient to parents, kids. If you're disobedient to your parents, you're disobeying God. Foolish means without understanding. Faithless means living outside of the covenant of God. Heartless meaning you have no affection towards God. And ruthless meaning you're, merciful toward, you're unmerciful towards others in the way you deal with them. What are your symptoms? We're all infected. Though, verse 32, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice, I want you to understand this, that this is those who practice this, those who have accepted this, those who believe that this is a right pattern of life for them, who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval of those who practice them. Why do they approve of what other people do? So they don't feel guilty anymore. You know what, if I can get you to agree with me on what I'm doing, then I can live however I want, and that's pretty much what culture is doing right now. If culture can get get people who have claimed God, who are followers of Jesus, to say, "Okay, well, if that's right for you, then well, then I can I can live however I want, and I feel bad about it." They approve of the practice. Two, one. Therefore, you have. No excuse. Oh, man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. As we go through this list, especially when we got the very beginning of the list, it is so easy for us to point fingers and judge people based on, I don't do that. Well, that's not what I do. But if we keep going down the list, oh, there are some things that I do. I know there's some things that come out of my life. John Piper, this week, my, myself and the staff, we were able to go to a conference. And it was, we, we thank you, church, for allowing us to have a week to go and get fueled up to be spoken into. And John Piper, he said this the only sin you can conquer in this life is a forgiven sin. Meaning that if you have not received Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, then you are perpetually stuck in the mud. You're stuck. 1 Corinthians, let's get to the solution. Two problems, here's the solution. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. There's the solution. You're not, you no longer are, you were. You were these things. But there has been a decisive change in your life because of Jesus Christ, and so those these, though these things haunt you, they are not what you are any longer. You were these things because you were, this is, this is definite, you were washed. Not by anything you did. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you need Jesus? Because in Christ, you were washed. Amen? That should get some really good, woo! That should be, that's, some, that's some exciting stuff right there, right? I read in our prayer time that our sins had been cast into the sea, meaning that just as Pharaoh and his army were in pursuit of God's people, they were wiped out. And sin is pursuing you and is trying to overtake you, but let me tell you something. You've been washed, and that sin has been washed away. It is no longer going to have dominion and power over you because of the work of Jesus Christ. Those, this is those who were in sin verse, versus those who are now in Christ. You were washed. Titus 3, 3 through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And saying, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Oh, at just the right time, Christ died for us. We have been washed clean. There has been a a regeneration and a renewal of our spirit by the Holy Spirit that now indwells us. Let me tell you, if you are practicing sin, you have to question whether or not there's been a renewal. Because there is a difference between a head knowledge of God and a heart appreciation for God that is, that is this. Be careful to devote themselves to good works. You're not saved by those good works, but man, they are evidence that he is renewing and he is washing you clean. Why do you need Jesus? Because in Christ you were sanctified. You were set apart. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what he's done. He has washed you and now he has sanctified you. He has set you apart. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So now that you've been washed and you've been sanctified, now that you're a holy nation, you're a chosen people, you're a people of his own possession, now wage war against sin because this is not your home. And you have to understand that even though we have been washed clean and even though we've been sanctified, there is a mind, a depraved mind and a depraved flesh that we carry around with us that wants to take the three steps. I don't honor God, I'm not thankful for God, Let me fixate on something I think can satisfy me. We have to go to war against sin. Verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were, there he was, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why do you need Jesus? Because in Christ Christ, you were justified. You were declared just in God's sight by what Christ has done on your behalf. You're declared legally and positionally clean, holy and justified and pardoned right now if you were in Christ. Woo! Man, y'all are way too bad sometimes, so I'm just going to tell you, okay? This is good stuff You were washed. In Christ, you're a chosen people. You've been set apart. This is not your home. Conduct yourselves in that way. You have been justified. The legal demands have been met. His righteousness now has been imputed to you, not infused to you. You have, you have now been credited his righteousness because what, if he, what he has done on your behalf, not anything that you do or how good you get. It doesn't make you right with God. It's because of Christ and his work, Colossians 2:13 through 15. And you who were dead. See this another were? Were dead. In your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Oh, you have been washed. You have been set apart. You have been sanctified and you have been justified. Christ has bore your sins so that you will be able to kill your sins. This is what John Piper said this week. Christ bore our sins so that we should be able to kill our sins. He took the full punishment on our behalf. So why would we walk in darkness any longer? Why would we continue to practice the things that we know the wrath of God is coming for? The solution is one step back, you ready? There's one step back, there's three steps away, but there's only one step back. Become a child of God. It is the only hope we have. Become a child of God. 1 Peter 1, from your feudal, your vain, your idolatrous ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Oh, one way back, become a child of God. And as a child of God, be obedient. Obedient, put to death the passions of your flesh. Recognize when your mind is infatuated with idolatry. Recognize when it starts infecting you with immorality, immoral, impure thoughts and actions. Recognize that and run back to the Father. Run back as a child knowing that you were ransomed. You were saved. You were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in Christ by the precious blood of the Lamb. Christ died for our sake, we should live for his name's sake. As a child of God, don't be conformed by idolatry to immorality, but conduct yourselves with fear and obedience for holiness. It's as far as I can get in my notes today. Praise God for his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ. We need him, and I need him. Because there are times when I forget, there are times when I wonder. There are times when I stray. There are times, believe it or not, that I think that there are things and objects and people in this world that can satisfy me more than him. Isn't that ridiculous? If that's you today, would you repent? Would you turn back? Let's pray. Father, we are in desperate need for you. We are thankful for what you've done on our behalf, that it is the finished work of Jesus Christ, not anything that we have done. There is no room for us to boast. God, there are so many things that pop up in my life, infections and symptoms that haunt me of my former state. Lord, let me repent of those and not practice them. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for your church. They're your people. They're your sheep. If one of them wonders, Lord, bring them back. And even if you have to pour out your wrath on them to let them wallow in the mud for a while, let them find such misery in it that they come running back to you like the prodigal son father forgive us thank you for your cross thank you for your son christ's name will you stand will you respond